Welcome to Season 2 of I Fucking Love This Record, a music podcast hosted by me, the Derek Caraview. For Season 2, my guest hosts chose the record, and I'll be honest, sometimes I do not fucking love it. However, I did fucking love talking to each and every one of them about their choice. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Today we're talking about Mechanical Resonance, the debut album by Tesla. It was released on December 8th, 1986 on Geffen Records. It was produced by Steve Thompson and Michael Barbario, and the album was certified platinum in the U.S. in 1989. In the other chair today is writer, journalist, and rock star wannabe Eric Schmidt. We used to work together, and now he's working for me on this podcast. Tell the people a little about you, Eric. Well, as you said, uh, I've been a writer, editor, really bad writer and other things. Uh, primarily I was a sports writer, but when I tried to venture into like marketing materials, not so much. Lately, I've been working as an editor in risk mitigation, uh, which is incredibly boring. And uh, I've been working on some novellas, novels, short stories, that sort of thing. I finished one called Full Court Jesus, which I'm in the process of marketing. Haven't gotten a lot of good feedback, but uh, really most, most recently, I've just been dedicating myself to uh, researching this mechanical resonance. And I've, I've just been doing a deep dive into it. And I absolutely love it. It's 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 like an old friend. I'm just reconnecting. I, I hadn't listened to it probably in a couple couple of years. And uh, it's it's nice to to go by and listen to it. It's more like in a critical way. And it's it's fun. It's a great, it really, it holds up. For me, it holds up um, in a lot of ways. Some of it, you know, a lot of the production qualities is definitely very 80s, but I still enjoy it a great deal. I remember this just being on the radio, the two of the tracks anyway, the two singles off the album. Uh, so I remember uh, Modern Day Cowboy being able to catch that on Headbangers Ball. Uh, I don't remember owning this one. I, I want to say somebody in my circle did. And so if I wanted to hear it, I would just, you know, they had the tape. So I was never a, a huge Tesla fan, but I also didn't dislike them. So they weren't in that, you know, <laughs> those guys. But they also weren't, hey, those guys. Uh, I did end up seeing them live later on, not too much later on, but let's say early 90s, uh, maybe late 80s. But anyway, they were great. They were great live, but apparently not enough to get me to go out and (laughs) buy the album. (laughs) Tesla was just one of those bands that were around for me. And that's going to take us into the track by track analysis and for me as far as trying to classify the opener uh this has been the hardest one for me to classify easy come easy go Uh, i'm going to just go with it's a blueprint Uh, i think ultimately it's an odd way to start off the record it sounds more like a track three (laughs) to me (laughs) if that makes any sense still i love the bass line in this and the overall tone of the song it sounds vaguely great whitish, which I, I, I enjoy some really great whites. So that I mean as a compliment. So it's, uh, I think, a fairly uh, standard kind of metal song. You know, it's not over the top, super heavy or super fast or anything. But uh, I think all in all, a, a good tune, but I think a good tune oddly placed. What about you, Eric? What do you think about this opener? Yeah, I. it's funny. I came into this song because when I first went to college, I guess uh, Pour Some Sugar On Me mm-hmm. was being played from Hysteria on every CD player in my dorm hall. <laughs> and some one guy was playing Tesla. And I heard this song, Easy Come, Easy Go. And I, was, I, I had known 
modern day cowboy. And I had, I think I had heard cover queen as well. And I, but I hadn't heard the, the CD all the way through. So when I listened to easy come easy go, I was like, that's a really good song. And looking at it now, I do think it's a blueprint. Um, I think it showcases Jeff Keith's, Jeff Keith's vocal range. It, it's sort of it's, it showcases the band as a whole. I mean, guitar solos, strong drums. There's an oddly prominent use of the hi hat. Um, it, it basically just says, "Hey, we're a straight straight ahead rock and roll band." Um, so it does it serves its purpose as the lead track on this on their inaugural CD. It's it's got a you know the slow grooving start. The vocals match the rhythm. And then by the end of the sixth line, Jeff's shrieking, and it's like, "Oh, okay, this is who they are. They've got they're a steady rock band with the, their singers got range." There's nothing really fancy. It's just, you know, it's got that whole, this is who we are, take us or leave, take us or leave us vibe. And I, I love that. I mean, that's, that's rock. So that leads us into track two, coming at you live. And what are your thoughts here, Eric? This song, I actually did a little research, little, I found more about this song. This was actually written in Guam. It was pre Troy Lucetta, the drummer joining the band. Okay. Uh, someone gave it to him when they were looking for a drummer. And this is what really sold him on trying to hook up with the band when they got back to Sacramento. And it's, I, I've heard people say that Tesla always wears its influences on its sleeve. Mm. And the intro to this song, it's a guitar duel and it's very mean streets from Van Halen. So they clearly were Van Halen guys and they weren't, they were not ashamed of it. It's like, Hey, you know, this is sort of an homage. And the other thing that, that struck me about this song is it almost sounds live, even though it's recorded in a studio. You've got, you know, thunder, the thundering drums, lots of reverb, which may or may not date the album, but I really don't care. It's, I love this. I love this genre and I love, I love all that. I, I kind of wear that as a badge of, badge of honor. You know, it, it's, just, it's also a signature live song for me. Although I, I did just hear an interview and they said they're not playing it on their current tour which is, uh, I guess they're trying to play more deep cuts because they're touring uh, on their own this time around. But, you know, it's just, it's one, even one of the lyrics always coming back for more, coming spelled C-U-M-I-N with an apostrophe, ending it with yeah, yeah. It's just so 80s and so good. I, I just I can't stand up about it. <laughs> yeah, so they, they were probably also fans of Quiet Riot or saw that, you know, Quiet Riot did well with the come on, feel the noise so we can spell shit however we want to yeah so for me it's a little embarrassing when i started the opening track exercise how to you know categorize them this is a song that i was actually thinking about because i thought this was the opening track on the album hmm. so when we get down to doing it i realized it's track two i was like huh well <laughs> so much for that so this is track two and in my notes here i have it's got that eddie van halen style guitar opening this song doesn't hit quite as hard as i remember uh, i feel that it's probably one of those that really gets interpreted better live and yeah maybe that's just because of the name but it's and i know that they used to open most of their shows with this song mm, and that, yes. that was clear you know that was the idea of writing this you write a song called coming at you live so you open up a show with a song coming at you live it just makes sense yeah. you know? <laughs> uh and even if it if that feels i don't know forced or whatever i still think hey it's rock and roll baby it's cool you know uh yeah. you, could, you could do shit like that so uh, i was i was ultimately slightly disappointed but uh, one of the things i did and i'm not sure where to talk about this is uh you know on spotify you can make playlists 
And I'm going to talk a little bit more about something I did with this particular album. I'm just going to try to find the right place to do it. Okay. <laughs> uh, I'll let you know what I did. So track three, uh, go to uh, Getting Better. It's like after the great whitish, moody metal bass opening and then the Van Halenisms of track two. Uh, this one starts like the obligatory rock ballad. And this is almost always where you're going to find that rock ballad in track three, maybe track four. But then it transforms into something upbeat and more into a hard rock vein rather than uh, the metal of the era. So we get like these two kind of 80s metal songs to start. And this one's more like a just kind of a straight ahead rock song. Uh, even with the more uplifting vocals and uplifting lyrics that you're not really getting at this point in, in a lot of metal. I mean, things can be uplifting in like, I'm going to go get laid, but this is, you know, getting better. <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> uh, I mean, it's, it's a good tune, but I think it shows that. And I think we're going to see this with a few other songs that they, I wonder how much they were shaped into a metal band because that's what was going on as opposed to that's what they wanted to be. I don't know. What do you think, Garrett? Well, it's funny to your point. I actually read an interview with Jeff Keith, you know, several years ago, and it, he actually was mentioned that this Getting Better was one of the band's first efforts to create an upbeat, positive song. So that would explain, that would explain the tone in it. But I, I know that Frank Hanna wrote the guitar part, and then Jeff worked in the lyrics around that section. I think it's just it, it's a working class song. It, it reminds me a little bit of Rush's Working Man. There's a grit to it. There's almost a strut in the song. And like you said, it's not necessarily 80s metal. It's just straight ahead rock and roll. Um, there's actually kind of something kind of funny, which I did not notice. If you're listening to it with headphones, the, lo the vocals come in on the left and the music starts on the right before it, before it all syncs up. So it's kind of got that, that recording vibe going to it. It's just... It, that doesn't necessarily fit with the rest of the CD, but it's still a great Tesla song. And I don't know if you can actually classify. I mean, I, I do classify Tesla as an 80s metal band just because of the era, but they're not Poison. They're not Danger Danger. They're not Bang Tango or Enough's Enough. They're, they're definitely closer to a raw version of Rat or Skid Row who, while they all had long hair, they weren't glamish. They were just more straight ahead, hard rock in an era that was playing music similar to that, but not quite with this edge to it. Let's go off on a little bit of a tangent. We have time and I can edit it out if it doesn't work. Uh, do you okay. think that uh, Tesla is overlooked from this era? Like if I was to go talk to 20 people who are roughly our age, who kind of grew up with this stuff, even if they weren't maybe metalheads, but you know, this stuff was all over the place for a while. Uh, let's say from, especially from 87 to about what, 90, 91, you know, plenty of radio stations are playing metal. Uh, MTV's playing plenty of metal. There's a lot of places to get it, to see it. Uh, if you talk to 20 people from that era and say, Hey, just tell me, you know, five, 10 hair metal bands, how many people of those 20 even, br even bring up Tesla? Probably, yeah, I would say two or three and only because they're familiar with the song love song. I don't think they were definitely because they they didn't wear makeup. They didn't. I know they headlined, but they were always they always seemed to be opening for somebody, or they play on four band bills where they were the second or third band going on. Uh, they just didn't get the recognition. I don't think they cared about that. I think they're just happy, and they're still playing. I mean, I still I have seen Tesla more than any other band from that era. I probably and I've seen them. I've seen them play in 
Georgia, Florida, Oklahoma, Utah, Michigan. My wife's a big Def Leppard fan and they, they have ties with Def Leppard and they often tour with them. So when we go on vacation, we try and pick a different state every year. And if, Def, if Jen sees there's a summer tour and we can somehow work around a Def Leppard tour, a Def Leppard show, we do that. So it's, it's unique to see them and all that. And they've never let me down. They're just a great band. But to your point, yeah, they do get overlooked. I, but it's because they didn't really fit in the genre into which they're categorized. Um, in that respect, I think Def Leppard's probably a good fit for them because while they are probably considered a, a hair band, they were always sort of a straight ahead rock and roll band. Maybe their lyrics were more hair bandish, but they certainly didn't. The, the hair teasing wasn't there. The costumes weren't there. They were a ripped jeans and t-shirt type of band, just like, just like Tesla was. Tesla is, was, and is, is one of my all time favorite bands. I like to sort of joke, steal from a Gino Toretto's line in Fast and the Furious. I like to live my, I live my life one Tesla album at a time. And I still do that. I mean, I'll go back and just, track back and go forward it's just I, I look forward to the releases like a kid looks forward to christmas well, they've got another one coming out um in march i don't know when this is going to run but they've got it's got a lot of influences from uh, phil cullen from Def leopards producing it and i think he actually sings on the album as well i i didn't realize there was that connection because i know he's played guitar with them live a few times as a fill-in because uh, somebody wasn't available or somebody had left the band or one of those things right so he's played live with them right yeah, they for they tour with them a lot. I mean, I've probably seen them play with Def Leppard more than any other band. I'm actually going to see them again. This is probably after the podcast next month, or actually a couple of weeks. Um, and they're but they're touring by themselves. It's they're just they're just a great band. They, Jeff Keith's a showman. The band performs well. They've got four of the five original members. Uh, Tommy Skio is the only one who's not there. Uh, funny story, well, not so much funny about him, but a, but a mutual friend of ours, Jaffe. His nephew uh, was taking guitar lessons from Tommy Skio down in the Fort Myers area. And uh, Tommy Skio has got a bit of a drug problem. And Jaffe's nephew got back in the car with his dad after one of his lessons. And his dad's like, so how'd the, how'd, how'd the, the lesson go? And he's like, Tommy fell asleep. <laughs> just sort of let the guy just passed out the entire guitar lesson. So that was the last time he had a guitar lesson with Tommy Skio. That's, uh, well, that's too bad. I always hate to hear that. Track four, Too Late for Love. What do you think about this one? This has got, it's got a marching band intro and a count in. It's one, two, three, four. And I am a sucker for this style. I just, it's so wonderfully cheesy. I just, I just absolutely love it. You know, it's, and it's got a lyric running hard. I'm a rock and roll man, which just fits in with that whole 80s theme. Definitely shows, I mean, Tro Lucetta was definitely more of a 70s guy. And, they have some acoustic guitar. They, they fill in the acoustic guitar. They fill it in behind the electrical work, I, I believe, in the chorus, um, just to try, you know, as, like they said, as a fill in. So it's, it, it's able to show off his influences. It's just an all around solid song um, from beginning to end. And again, it's more of a traditional rock song. I don't have anything really detailed beyond that. Again, though, they put the number two and number four in the title. So sticking with the 80s theme yeah. there. <laughs> My only real note here is that this is just sort of a standard issue rocker. Mm. Uh, there, it's not a deep song. There's not much to say about it. And you know, now knowing the Def Leppard connection, I wonder if they've ever both played their their versions of "Too Late for Love" and like flipped it. So that's you know, <laughs> Tesla does the Def Leppard song, and Def Leppard does the Tesla song. Yeah. So that then brings us to track five, "Rock Me to the Top." 
And for me, this is the most heavy metal song on the album. It's got that like fingery guitar line and the big repeated chorus, like the shouted rock in the background. Mm -hmm. This one feels to me, and you can you can tell me if I'm right. This feels like it's a fan favorite that doesn't get much love. Like maybe the band doesn't like it or something because it's a good catchy song. And this always feels to me like uh, a secret handshake song. Like for whatever reason, the band doesn't like to play it or it just never got out. But those there's that pocket of fans who love the song and get excited on the rare times it's played. Is that the case or am I just, am I reading into that a little too much? It depends on what your concert experience has been with them. I mean, it's, I, there is, it's funny you mentioned that because there's a song later, later on in the CD where I've, I've actually heard an interview with Troy Lucchetto where they said they wrote it and then they decided nobody ever wanted to perform it live, but this wasn't it. The funny thing about this song to me is when I first started listening to Tesla, I did not realize they were California and particularly the vocals on this one, Jeff Keith almost sounds Southern. So I, I just assumed based on this track that they maybe were like a, a Texas band or a Florida band or something along those lines. And clearly they're not, it was, but again, it was probably, in, they all love Leonard Skinner. So maybe it was a tribute to Leonard Skinner, just like the, the opening track was a tribute to Van Halen. And uh, I know they've got some Led Zeppelin, Led Zeppelin-ish type, type stuff in here. But, you know, this is another one where the intro gets to me right away. you got the loud guitars followed by the scream. Um, Tommy Schiaccia and Tommy Schio wrote the riff for this. It's just, it's a testosterone charge. As you said, it's, this is your heavy metal song, your hard rock song. It's just, it's, it's, the word rock is actually used. And I counted this at minimum six times per course. So they're really getting the point. across. <laughs> this is a lot of things. Subtle is not one of them. No, no, they, they, they don't need subtlety. It's, it's rock and roll. I'm going to beat you over the head with these, but they also, there's a, they wrap it up with L U V E love. I feel like Matthew McConaughey owes Tesla for royalties on this when he was just like, you just got to keep on living, L-I-V-I-N. I, I think he stole that from here. Could very well be. Then we go to We're No Good Together. What are your thoughts here, Eric? This to me is the first real ballad on the CD. As you said, Getting Better sounded like it was going to be a ballad. And then it sort of got away from it. It's the most simplistic breakup song ever written. Um, it's clearly very, very bluesy which I really enjoy. That being said, at the end of the, the song, the tempo really increases and it's almost it's almost the frustration because he's trying to break up with this girl and she's not listening to him and he's screaming, you know, listen to me. And then it's it's like he, he started trying to be nice and then he's like screaming, listen to me. And then the next lyric is, now I try to tell you, baby, there ain't nothing we can do because I'm no good for you and no baby, you're no good for me. And it's it's like she finds out that she's all of her town. So it's, she's went from this like this very gentle breakup to, okay, you're a whore. All toward the very end, and the tempo sort of matches that, and I really enjoy that. It's a—it's uh, almost—I don't know if they did it to be funny, but as I started to listen to it more critically, it got a smile from me anyway. But yeah, it's a, as a ballad, I think it works, and as a rock song, I think it works. How about you? Uh, well, I have here now. Here's the ballad to end side one of the vinyl. So that's my first note, and then keyboards seemingly out of nowhere. There's keyboards. <laughs> I didn't notice that. <laughs> Much with the keyboards, I'm, I'm sure they're they're sweetening up the sound throughout the record before that, but they're they're not nearly as obvious as they are in this song. I find this one to be a little draggy. I didn't really I didn't like the tempo, and I don't mind a slow song. I, I enjoy a ballad as much as anybody else. But you know, the subject matter is on point. But as this song closes the first half, I realize that this band and what I was alluding to earlier, uh, I think this band is actually, or I wonder if initially was closer to being what would maybe be known as a corporate rock or arena rock rather than uh, a metal band, you know? So mm -hmm. they, they seem closer in spirit to 
you know, sticks or journey. And I, and I'm not saying this in a bad way at all, because it seems like, because this album came out in 86. So this is before Bon Jovi really helped break metal to more of a pop. <clears throat> I mean, not to say that there weren't hits before that. Motley Crue had some stuff in the eighties, blah, 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 early eighties. You know, there's that 81, 82, stuff that came out you see had like aldo nova <laughs> a few other things where it's like they weren't quite metal yeah they weren't quite just your standard issue rock but then you had like foreigner or you had um survivor or a few of these things. you know so they had that a little bit of that edge but without ever doing the whole metal thing and you go back to how tesla's image they didn't have the the teased hair sure they all had long hair and, and you know they probably played flying V guitars or whatever but so they had a little bit of that you know the jeans and t-shirts is still part of the metal image but they didn't go that glam route am i off base here what do you think because this is their first record uh i'm sure there was different thoughts of different ways to go and i remember reading an interview with the singer you know a million years ago so i could be misremembering quite a few things but he talked about their original manager wanted them to keep all of their songs uh, at three minutes and 30 seconds or, or less. So it could get on the radio and no matter how great he said, like the last verse would be, if it was over three minutes, the guy was told, telling them to cut it out. And I think obviously they eventually got rid of that guy and went their own way. But I wonder, cause this album feels like almost half of this first half could be more arena rock as opposed to metal. Does that make any sense? What I'm yeah. Oh, yeah. And I, I would actually, I think it's probably more. Fair, it's probably a fair assessment to call them an arena rock band. And also, this was their first album. I mean, they were they were a bar band, and all of a sudden they were signed and putting out an album. And it's, I'm sure they're probably still trying to find their identity with with this album. And I did. I actually just listened to an interview with Troy Lucetta recently. He kept saying, "My memory may be fuzzy of this, but he seems to think they wrote all the songs for this within an eight to ten day period." They had they had somehow gotten signed, much like Metallica got signed without really having an album, without having a band. Like that time, I guess Lars Ulrich got signed to put his song in a compilation, but he didn't really even have a band yet. Um, so it's sort of the, you know, they had the band, but they didn't necessarily have the material to put out the album. So it was, it was, I guess it was kind of a, just a, a rush job on it, a really well done rush job. But you can put out, you can put together a bunch of songs, but you may not be able to, I'm sure you're going to come up with some stuff that sounds metal, some stuff that sounds rock. But yeah, I would definitely classify them more as an arena rock band than a, than a metal band. Um, so to your point, yeah, I agree with you 100% on that. All right. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. As you are the experts of the genre, I feel very good about myself right now. <laughs> thank you, sir. I'm Brian Colburn. And I'm Jay Sweet. And we're the co-hosts of Tune Styles, a podcast aimed at the music nerd in us all. Each listener interactive episode hones in on a different musical topic or artist. Featuring guest interviews, listener polls, and roundtable discussions about the music that shaped the soundtrack to our lives. You can find us at ToonStylesPodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, or wherever your favorite podcasts are found. Subscribe to ToonStyles and be a part of our weekly musical conversation. Stay tuned. And now, back to the show. So we're flipping the record over track seven, Modern Day Cowboy. This was the lead single and it shows. Uh, I feel like the production on this one is beefed up a little bit, though I didn't see anything that they used a, a different producer or anything. But the sound, the subject matter, and especially the guitar solo all really point to the metal of the time. This, this really feels like 
you know, mid to late eighties, heavy metal, uh, hair metal, whatever you want to call it. Uh, it's got a, it's got a groove to it. It's a, it's a good tune. Uh, and, and this is what really got them noticed at first. This was not what broke them big. We'll hear that song, uh, in a couple of tracks, but right now this is what first got them airplay. This is what first was released to the public. And I still think it's a, it's a good tune. Uh, it is a little dated, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. What do you think? Yeah, um, I agree with you. It, do, it does feel 80s, but at the same time, it was written in the 80s. You can't, ex- you can't expect everything to hold up. So, uh, this, and you, as you said, this really did break Tesla. Um, it helped it. David Lee Roth was actually watching videos to find bands to open up for his touring act. I guess this was David Lee Roth with Steve Vai and Billy Sheehan post Van Halen. And he stumbled across this video. And this is so he got Tesla to come tour with him. I guess Cinderella had been on tour with him. Cinderella, the band, not the, uh, the Disney character for those of our younger listeners. I actually, trust me, I had a kid who was working for me when I was a sports editor and I mentioned the name Cinderella and he just did not understand what I was talking about. And was, I cried for a little while and then I showed him a video. And then he cried for a little while. Yeah. <laughs> he cried a lot more than I did. About it. <laughs> he just did not understand the genius of Tom Kiefer. I don't get it. Maybe he's not for everybody. Who knows? <laughs> But uh, the you know the lyrics, as you said, were kind of unique. Well, the lyrics were unique to the '80s anyway. There's no sex, drugs, or rock and roll. It's a history of war. You know, it starts with the Old West and ends with the U.S. versus the USSR at the time with their cold gun. And I love the line with their six guns at their sides. It's just it's. I think that's just a really. It ties in the opening. It, it's like war is universal. I mean, whether it's a six gun or a bomb, you know, it's you're still threatening somebody. I'm trying to think. I, I believe it has like a lot of acoustic and electric textures that mesh with a lot of catchy hooks. And I think that helps a lot. And uh, I've also got a note here. I think this song is one of Tesla's mid-album trifecta where they really knocked it out between this and the next two tracks, which we'll get to. But yeah, this this is one of my all-time favorite Tesla songs. It's a staple in their live performance. Um, he, it's funny to watch the video on this. Jeff Keith really hadn't grown his hair out yet. And it just... It's, it looks like a different, not a different person, but it doesn't look like the Jeff Keith that I think of when his name comes to mind, because he still looks roughly the same when I see him today in concerts. I didn't watch the video again. I should do that because I was really just listening to it for the last two days on repeat through, through Spotify. So I haven't, been, I haven't been doing any visual stuff with it, let's say. The video looks dated. <laughs> just, keep, just keep that in mind. Please be gentle when you watch it. <laughs> You have to. I mean, every every once in a while, I'll go down that rabbit hole and I'll start watching old 80s metal videos. And usually I'm, I'm more filled with nostalgia than horror. So okay. <laughs> brilliant. Okay. So that brings us on to uh, Changes, track eight. And you say this is a part of the trifecta. So tell us about the second song of the three. This is another. I'm going to hearken back to my or reference my initial statement that where Tesla tends to wear their influences on the sleeve. The influence here, it's, I think it's the Rolling Stones' Give Me Shelter. Um, it's, you can kind of hear it in certain parts of Changes. You got Frank on the piano. Tommy wrote the, the key part on it. Um, there's nothing earth shattering the lyrics, but there's something just, it's wonderful in the simplicity. It's just now I'm older, growing older, and I see things differently. It's it's you know it's just about growing up, but it's not typical of a a rock song of I'm growing up and I'm filled with teen angst and I'm going to go do this or I'm going to go get laid or I'm going to. It's just it's like a mature version of growing up. It's uh it's really especially for a first album. 
I find this incredibly an incredibly introspective song to to come up with um, and to throw it after to, to, to fit it between modern day cowboy and the next track little Susie. It's it's just an interesting placement on the album. I don't know if there's a perfect place for it, but because where it's placed and because I love all three of those songs, I'm I'm, I'm happy with it. It's just uh, it's just uh, to me it's just interesting that they were able to. It, I think it showed courage to try and to get introspective and look in oneself on your on your debut album. How about yourself? This is my favorite track on the album. Okay, oh, just hands down, I love this song. The piano opening reminds me a bit of Bad Company. Hmm. Okay. I hear that piano, and I'm almost expect like a single key to be repeated and then something, but then it goes in a different direction. But yeah, Bad Company is what this calls back for me. But then that guitar and keyboard combo has that minor key urgency, and I just love it. I love the sounds, and they said this is introspective in a genre not known for introspection. Motley Crue never once looked inside themselves, which is why they're all still alive and not dead by their own hands. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, you know, it's a fantastic song. And I think this is one that does hold up. And even though it has some of the influences on it that you mentioned, if you're talking the Stones or Bad Company, I still don't feel this one doesn't really feel that dated to me. I think just a, a fantastic song. Oh yeah. It's, I really, it's, it's one of those, I like, I, I was looking at it and, and as you like it, I like it a lot as well. I couldn't really detail it outside of saying, this is just great. <laughs> it's, I, don't, I don't know. What's the because I don't even know, like you had mentioned earlier, like I don't play an instrument. So I'm like you, I, I have a hard time sometimes articulating what it is that I like about a song because I can't get into the, the nuts and bolts of music production or, or how something is being played, but just the way the guitar and the keyboard come together and it's that it's kind of slow and chugging, but not draggy or dirty. You know, it's just something there's a, still an urgency to it, even though it's not a, a, a quick song, let's say. And that's all I can say. It just, it hits that it hits some pleasure center in my brain that I don't know how to describe. And that's all I got for you. That's probably better. We don't need your pleasure center explained. <laughs> yeah, probably for the best. So we're going to move on to track five, uh, which this was the second single. This is what broke them big. This uh, song was huge. And it's got this acoustic intro. It's kind of a mid-tempo rocker. My only thing with this is I feel like this song could have been on any album that came out in 1987 with just minor superficial differences. Like I felt this could have been on a pop record. This could have been on a country record. This could have been on, you know, <laughs> almost anything that released to the public with just, just the way they approach, which I think writing a song as universal as this is a good thing. I'm not saying that as an insult. I'm not saying it's necessarily generic as I feel Really, there's a country music version that could have come out at the exact same time. You put a little, you know, lap pedal on it as opposed to the, you know, you, you change the guitar solo and almost any band could have put this out in 87, I think. But this is part of your trifecta. I don't want to take away from it. What do you think? I think I think what you said is fair. And I, I think part of the reason it could have fit in is it's a cover. You know, it, it's easier to imagine other people. And I had I knew it was a cover, but until I started doing research on the song, I didn't know 
who the band was that they wrote it initially. It was apparently a British new wave group called PhD. And the song was actually called little Susie's on the up. Once again, they put an S in Susie Tesla threw in the Z. They're just sticking with the eighties theme, which I, you know, I, I absolutely <laughs> going on ride or die with the Z's man. That's all they're doing. Um, apparently Ronnie Montrose brought the song to Tesla and uh, they decided to, to put it on the CD. And I think they really, and I can still remember Jeff Keith singing Teslafied. So I, I'm assuming they Teslafied the song. The original, it's <laughs> the original video um, from PhD was actually the fifth video played by MTV. Oh, wow. Uh, so it, it was, I think the song was already known. Um, and then when Tesla came out, I think I've listened to the original a few times and it, it's good, but it, I think Tesla did a much better version with it. They really rocked it up. Incidentally, if you're wondering, April Wine had the 14th video ever played on MTV. April Wine, wow. Anytime I can reference April Wine, I'm going to reference April Wine. So. Oh, yeah, you, you gotta. I mean, come on. <laughs> what the hell? Um, the original track was really synth heavy, but Tesla had sort of a folk guitar intro. Rather, I think they sort of replaced with that folk guitar intro. And then this, they really filled the song out. And I feel like the bass line... And this thing really holds it together, which I'm not sure can be said for most of their songs. I think they really let it let it go on the bass, and it's it's just a great track. Totally didn't catch it. That was a cover, even though it's you know right there, even in the the, the Wikipedia page. That brings us to track ten, "Love Me." Do you love this one, Eric? It was this this is the track before that I mentioned they never played live, and I was thinking while I was listening to it, I never hear this song. And I was listening to an interview with Luketta, and he's like, yeah, we wrote it, and nobody wanted to play it live, especially Jeff. Apparently, the vocals are too challenging, or something to that effect. I think it's got you know a great guitar riff, and it's got a signature ow scream at the end, ow, at the beginning. I'm going to live or die. I'll ride or die with this as well. It's got, it's got my intro. If you hook me in the first 10 seconds of a song, I'm sold. I don't know how to classify this. It's a ballad, but it's not. The bridge in there, it adds a talk box. I don't know what to say about that. It's very confusing. So I, I like it because it's Tesla, but I'm giving it the benefit of the doubt because it's Tesla. So I don't have much detail. I'm, I'm curious to know what you think about this one. This one feels like filler to me. I don't really care for this one very much. It's not a bad song, but it's not a particularly good one. And it does feel like there's a lot of extraneous stuff on there. I forgot to write down about the talk box because it's like the second or third time I listened to it. And I was like, wait, is that a talk box? <laughs> it was one of those kind of things, you know? But I was on the bus at the time and forgot to write it down. Yeah, just this one doesn't do anything for me. And we can move on to track 11, Cover Queen. Mm. And for this one, I think they're, they're trying for that slinky, sexy song. And again, this reminds me a little bit of Great White, which I think is kind of a coincidence. I don't feel like they were necessarily influenced by Great White because I don't think they were a big radio band at this point. But it's uh, in that kind of same wheelhouse, let's say. I feel it comes up slightly short of what they're trying to do because it's a good song. Uh, and I can't quite pinpoint what I feel is missing to make it great, if that makes any sense. So I, I like this one. I just wished it had a little more of something that I can't quite put my finger on. What about you? That's interesting. Yeah, it's this is one of my favorite tracks. Um, and just for the pure reason, that it's just a fun fucking song. It really is. It's uh, that being said, I will say lyrically, it probably doesn't hold el- hold up well with the Me Too movement. Um, there's a lyric that says, "I see your face in the magazine, best looking bitch that I've ever seen." I cannot see that 
translating <laughs> to a real pop, yeah. pop hit in 2019. Um, I know Frank Hanna wrote the riff. Apparently, it's this is a funny little tidbit. After the fact, Troy Lucetta, while he was playing it, he's like, this, this, my drum part sounds so familiar. And then he realized he just ripped it off of a guy named Steve Gadd, who I had not heard of. So I did a little research on him. He apparently played with a bunch of bands, everyone from like Steely Dan to James Taylor. I thought, I thought that was an interesting, again, that guy's 70s influence and it crept into this album. I, I do think this song, it may have hooked me most on Tesla. It's just, I think I probably heard it when I was working out and it just had that drive for me. It was just a really strong song and it, it could keep me going. And I, I just loved it. It was, it had the perfect blend of hard driving guitars and cheesy lyrics. <laughs> so the ultimate 80s song. I, 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 was, I, I may still have had a mullet going on at this point. I let the mullet go a little, probably a year or two longer than I should have, but so be it. <laughs> what can you do? It was the 80s. Leave me alone. <laughs> this brings us to our final track, track 12, Before My Eyes. What are your closing thoughts on the closing song? This is a cool song. It's got that gloomy, almost trippy vibe to it. It's it's like a psychedelic thing. Even the lyrics, I mean, the lyrics sort of match in there with I can see the colors are coming one after another. For me, I see the words, I hear the sound going around in my head. It's it's and I'm not a drug guy. I've never dropped acid, but I feel like if I did, they've written about it right here for me. So I'm good. I don't have to I don't have to I don't have to partake, but I did. I liked it. It sounded, it had a lot of, I feel like it had a lot of reverb in it. It almost sounded like he was singing in a barrel at times. And I was listening in a barrel and I just, I just liked that whole sort of the fuzzy feeling of the track. <laughs> also, this may sound dumb, but I, I think this is the most abrupt song ending ever. <laughs> it just cuts out. I actually, I was watching this on YouTube. I just love reading some of the comments. And this one guy wrote in, you know, he actually went out and bought another CD because he thought his skipped at the end. <laughs> just, it just stopped. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <don't> stop, <laughs> We're out. But uh, yeah, it's, so I, I do like it and I, I, it's got, it's got a different feel to it. I don't think I've heard Tesla go in that. And maybe they're, they've got some sort of sixties influences in them, but who knows? How about yourself? I, I found this one to be a little draggy. Uh, I, I wish, I don't know, just it, it's, it's again, it's a five minute plus song. So I feel it could use, you know, a bit of a trim. But after about maybe the first two minutes, I feel it moves. It finally starts to do something. Uh, and then, of course, it does have that. Well, wait, it's, is the album over? What happened? <laughs> it's like, I'm not a huge fan of this one, but I do. I'm a, I'm a sucker for the slow closer. You know, that the final song on the album being a little more down tempo. Uh, again, if this would have been, let's say, three and a half minutes and maybe with just something a little bit, a little more of a hook at the beginning, then I would be sold. But I do. I like it. It's a good way to end the album. Oh, yeah, I agree. I think it's a perfect final song. I, I think sometimes I like to put look at albums and say, oh, this song should have been here. This song should have been here. But in, in this case, I'm, I'm pretty happy with the layout of the, the album. And I, I do think this, if you're going to pick any song in this album to close, I think that's the one to do it. And funny you should mention that because what I was talking about before is uh, I made a Spotify playlist of this album, but I changed the running order and cut out two songs. Really? Uh, yeah. And it's a better record. So that's going to be... <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. Okay. <laughs> So, and I did the same thing with Faith No More is the Real Thing, which I love, but I, I made a couple of small changes, and I feel, for me, I made it a better record. <laughs> Tesla, Mechanical Resonance Redefined Playlist, 10 songs, hmm. opens with Coming At You Live, yeah. goes to Modern Day Cowboy, 
After that, easy come, easy go. Then rock me to the top, getting better. Changes, cover queen, too late for love, little Susie, closes with before my eyes, done 44 minutes instead of 53 minutes. You're on to the next album with a bigger smile on your face. Okay. You'll have to check that one out. I'll get- <laughs> I'm trying to visualize. I've listened to this so many times in the last couple of weeks. <laughs> I can't get used. It, it is funny though that you mentioned that you did. You thought Coming At You Live was the first track because if you put it on YouTube, they don't have Easy Come, Easy Go. Like if you're listening to the first album, if you put the album, because I, I, the first time I did that, I was working and work from home so I'm able to listen to music all day and rather than put the CD in, I just put, you know, Google YouTube full album for mechanical resonance. And it starts with coming at you live. And I was listening. I was like, that doesn't sound right. It's something was wrong. And I finally, I picked up my CD after all. I was like, ah, that's why that's, we were missing something. There. But I, I, I like your idea. It's the revisionist history. I'm kind of fascinated by the nuts and bolts of recording and, and the way things are put together because I don't know anything about it firsthand. Mm. Uh, I don't know who, I'm sure every album is different and who makes these final choices, but when it comes to uh, track order, I'm kind of fascinated because I like to make mixtapes, playlists, getting from one track to another is, is, you know, you want to have a certain thing and sometimes you want that to be abrupt, like a very different kind of approach. So I'm always a little bit fascinated by it. So this is just one that I've, I've, because there was a couple of tracks that I wasn't really crazy about. And then just again, coming and thinking, I swear to God, coming at you live was the first song. <laughs> so I included a, a picture of my playlist for you. I, I appreciate that. I feel as though you you should have gotten the John Cusack's role in High Fidelity. <laughs> I, think, I think that was all you. You were robbed. <laughs> well, I didn't go out for it. Oh, yeah. okay. <laughs> John needed to, needed to work. Needed. I understand. You're, I get that. You're a humanitarian, sir. <laughs> I'm a I'm a giver. All right. So any uh, any final thoughts, Eric? I do. I have two final thoughts on this. First of all, if the word baby was not used, getting better. I'm sorry. Too late for love. Rock me to the top. We're no good together. And love me would be much shorter songs. The the word baby is used <laughs> extensively in those tracks. And the other one I have is I actually got to interview uh, Frank Hannon in college. He was in North Carolina. I was at the University of Georgia and I was running a a review for a CD that had come out and they were going to be in Atlanta shortly. And he was staying under the name Don Corleone. I have never heard anyone, A, that tired at one o'clock in the afternoon on a phone call and B, that happy that an interview ended. I don't know how long he expected the interview to go, but I initially had 10 questions and my, my buddy, my roommate, Danny Cody, who he's that guy for me. He's the guy that introduced me to a lot of music. He had written a bunch of questions that he wanted to know personally. So I ran through the 10 questions and he was normally, I'm expect, I normally interviewed coaches and athletes and they're giving me like two, three sentence answers. And this guy's, even if it's not a one word answer, he's giving me one word. So I just grabbed Danny's list and I'm reading it to him and he, you know, he finishes everything up and I was like, well, that's it. And he was just ecstatic that the interview was over. He's like, that's it. Really? <laughs> it's like, yeah, <laughs> sorry, sorry to waste that 15 minutes of your time, man. And I guess we'll see you in Atlanta. And his response to that was, we're going to be in Atlanta on Saturday. <laughs> it's like, wow. Okay. Life of a rock star right there. <laughs> nice. Yeah. How about yourself? What are your final thoughts on this one? Like I said, this is one that I approached without a whole lot of nostalgia. Remember hearing this record, but it's not a record that I ever owned a few years ago. I think it was after Lemmy died. I ended up doing a bit of a uh, go down the YouTube heavy metal rabbit hole. Mm. And that's where I, I did revisit a couple of these tracks. And, you know, again, it doesn't really bring me necessarily back to a time and place like other albums of the era may have. So some of, it's, some of it sounded a little bit fresh, but in still a very, uh, this is old 
kind of way. You know, it's like hearing, a, a, I did a, another podcast for an album I had never listened to, but it came out in 1968 and it was very clearly from 1968. So while the songs were all new to me, the sound wasn't. And I feel kind of the same way with this, even though, you know, I knew, I knew, I knew most of these songs anyway. I'll, I'll stick with changes really holds up. So if you take nothing else away, if you want to go to YouTube and find changes, listen to that one. It's definitely worth your time. Fair enough. And I think this is a band that it, there's a, a small handful of bands that I think got lumped in with the eighties metal thing where I think it may have helped them earlier in their career, but then ultimately maybe hurt them because, you know, only one or two bands are allowed to, to leave one decade into another. And I think this was a band that didn't get to do that, even though they probably maybe deserve to. So they had, I think, their biggest hit, what, 91 with the five-man acoustical jam. But then uh, I think they broke up for a while. So I think this is a band that uh, is definitely, even if you're not a big fan of 80s heavy metal, that maybe, but if you like hard rock or like rock music, this is still one that's worth maybe taking a look at if you didn't get it the first time around. Oh, yeah, I agree. It's, again, I'm biased because I love this band, but it's... They still, I and mean, whenever I see them play, they're just, they're solid. They, they've held up. They don't drink anymore. They don't, I think they said they've been sober since like 94. So it's just, you know, it's just a clean band at this point. And they're, they're just, a, they put on a performance. They, they seem to still love performing and all their stuff still sounds the same. Jeff Keith's voice, and you know, it's, it's hard, especially with the metal acts, you know, your voice is an instrument. And as you get older, your voice goes. It's just an unfortunate fact of life, especially if you've been screaming for the first 20 years of your life. His, his Jeff Keith's vocals are still strong and everybody's still, with, you know, and aside from Tommy Skio being replaced, the band's still intact. It's just, they're just, they're just a tight band as far as I'm concerned. I'm really, I was really excited to do this podcast, especially about this one, about this album. So thanks for having me on. Thanks for joining me, taking the time out of your day to come uh, talk to me about this 1986 classic. So Eric Schmidt, once again, thank you so much for joining and we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to I Fucking Love This Record. If you would like to co-host an episode, contact me at lovethisrecord at gmail.com. This and every episode can be found on my website, lovethisrecord.com. If you would like to follow us on Facebook, it's Love This Record. Twitter and Instagram, Love This Record 1. Music provided by The Ashes of Grissom. And thanks as always to original patron, Mark Evers. Please remember to subscribe, like, and review, and we'll see you next time.